And I'm really glad to be here. Uh, when you get my age, you're glad to be anywhere. Uh, and you know, Brother Fred's coming along quite well, isn't he? You notice how he's recovering and he's gaining his strength. You know, any man that'll go through two heart surgeries and come out looking as good as he does, that says a lot about the man. You know, the first time they put in a pig valve, and I called uh, Brother Fred, and I said, Fred, you got a pig valve, have you? He said, yeah, yeah, I got a pig valve. I said, well, I've just been wondering, do you ever get a craving for chitlins? <laughs> and then they, they put in a mechanical valve, I think, the second time, didn't they? Put in a mechanical and so, I, Brother Fred, I haven't told you this, so I'll tell you this morning. Now, with a mechanical valve, you need to keep that old and greased real good. So eat a lot of barbecue and, and uh, French fries and, and onion rings and think got to keep that thing uh, going real good. You know, I'm aware of the fact that uh, you people get uh, good food. You get good spiritual food every time you come uh, to hear Brother Fred preach. And, uh, you know, I was just thinking, Lord, what do I do after he has preached uh, so many wonderful things and has shared the Word of God in the faithful way that he has? What does a man do when he comes in and tries to preach after that? And really, what you have to do is just what you have to do. And sometimes you have to do what you have to do. And to be honest with you, I've had uh, a lot of uh, experience doing what uh, I have to do. In fact, it started when I was just a boy. Uh, when my uh, uh, mother, when, when I was a boy, my mother uh, said to me that I had to be in at 12 o'clock every night. That was my curfew. I had to be in at 12 o'clock every night. And so one weekend evening, I was coming in. I had my shoes in my hand, and I was tiptoeing through the hallway, uh, and it was 2 o'clock in the morning. And my mama woke up and she said, is that you, Jerry? And I said, yes, mama. She said, well, what time is it? I said, it's 12 o'clock, mama. <laughs> and about that time, our cuckoo clock cuckooed two times. <laughs> so I just stood there and cuckooed ten more times. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, you just have to do what you have to do. So I'm going to do my cuckooing, and then you'll get back to the meat of the Word next week. Brother Fred and I have been friends for a long, long time, and I don't know a man who is a better friend than he is to me, and we have fellowship together and have wonderful times together uh, all through these years, and I thank you for the privilege of speaking today uh, to your people. You know, I've been preaching now kind of an itinerant ministry since I retired as pastor uh, First Baptist Church of Jacksonville after almost 24 years there. And so I'm not preaching every Sunday. And so the Sundays when I'm not preaching, I'm not standing up here. I'm sitting out there where you're sitting. And, uh, you know, I've learned a lot uh, being on the other side of the pulpit. Uh, I have learned, for instance, that I want to sit on the end. I don't want anybody getting my end seat in the service. I want to sit right there on the end. I don't want to sit in the middle. Now, some of you, the middle seems to be fine, but I don't know. I'm, and, and I'll tell you another thing, though, I have learned that a 30-minute sermon is a lot longer on that side of the pulpit than it is on this side of the pulpit. But uh, I've got some things I want to say this morning, and I'll probably take a little bit longer than uh, 30 minutes. 
Uh, in the 1870s, archaeologists uncovered in the sands of Egypt uh, a giant red granite shaft or obelisk. They immediately named it Cleopatra's Needle, and then they gave it, uh, did the Egyptians, to the British people uh, who took it and they erected it along the banks of the, uh, the, the Thames River. And at the base of the shaft, they, they put a time vault. And in that vault, they put some of the paraphernalia of the day. They put some coins of the day. They put some uh, clothing of the day. They put some uh, uh, children's toys of that time. They put some newspapers and they put some photographs. And then they appointed a committee to put into that time vault the greatest verse in the entire Bible. And the committee voted unanimously. And in the 215 languages known at that time, they put in that time vault John 3.16. Now probably most of you, as did I, learned that as the first verse you ever learned in the Bible. And so while you are turning in your Bible to John 3.16, let's quote that verse together. Uh, and then I want you to turn and, and keep the verse in front of you this morning. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's probably the first verse you learned, and it may be the last verse that you and I will forget. But I have to agree that it is perhaps the greatest verse in all of the Bible. Some have said that it is the Bible in miniature. I like uh, the statement that the Bible, that John 3.16, is uh, the gospel in a nutshell. Did you know if all of the other verses in the Bible were lost except this one verse right here? All of the Bible is contained in this one verse of Scripture, John 3, 16. And I want to talk to you a little while this morning about John 3, 16, this great verse. And I want to say, first of all, that it is everybody's verse. This verse is so profound that the great scholars uh, are never able to plumb the depths of its meaning and yet this verse is so simple that a little boy or girl in Sunday school can understand its meaning and can apply it to their life. And so in many ways, it is everybody's verse. It is also the inexhaustible verse. I heard about a young preacher named Henry Moorhead that D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, met when he was uh, preaching over in England. And he was impressed with the young man, and he said, If you ever come to America, I'll come to my church in Chicago. I'd like for you to preach for me. Well, much to his surprise, just a few short weeks later, Henry Moorhead said, I have uh, sent him a telegram that said, I have landed in New York, and I'm coming to preach for you. Well, D.L. Moody was going to be out of town, and he said to his men, Well, let the young man preach one time when he comes. Moody went off. He came back several days later only to discover that Henry Moorhead had preached not just one night, but several nights, and also to discover that every night he chose as his text John 3.16, and many, many, many people came to Christ. Many people were saved. Now, here's the unusual thing about that story. Henry Moorhead began to preach at the age of 16. He died an untimely life at the age of 33, and he never chose another text. Every sermon that he ever preached in those years, he preached from John three sixteen. Oh, it was a different message every time, but he always came with this same text of Scripture, John three sixteen. 
It really is the inexhaustible text. And the reason it is, is because John 3.16 is all about the love of God. Uh, do you remember that uh, wonderful gospel song? And I know that Brother Ed's uh, sung it many times that has uh, a line like this. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill? And every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to announce to you this morning that we will never exhaust the meaning of for God so loved the world. And so when we walk out of this building today, if you don't hear a lot of things I say, I want you to walk out of this building with this truth in your heart. God loves you. I was talking this morning to the young lady uh, who was serving me at the uh, hotel uh, dining area. And I said to her, I said, has anybody ever told you that God loved you and sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for you? Did you know there are a lot of people who do not know that God loves them? And they may have heard that God loves them, but it has never gripped their heart. If it grips your heart this morning that God loves you, and if you can walk out of here saying this morning, God loves me, I want to tell you, it will change your life. Now, I want to make several statements about God's love as we move through this beautiful, wonderful verse. The first thing I want to say is that God's love is global. Now, notice the first statement there. For God so loved the world. Now, of course, the key verse, the load-bearing verse there, a verb there, word there, is loved. For God so loved the world. There are about three words that are used in the Greek language for love. One of the words is the word eros, from which we get the word erotic. And, and it is a word that carries the idea of a love that only takes. It is what we would call sensual love. So odious is that word that it is never planted one time in the sweet soil of Holy Scripture. And then another word for love that is used in the Greek language is the word philos, from which we get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Uh, that is a, a, a give and a take kind of love. That is a brotherly love. That is an affectionate love. It is a social love. But the word that uh, is translated in your English Bible for love is the Greek word agape. And it is a word that is a, a give kind of love. It is a love that is based not on the worthiness of the object love, but based on the character of the one doing the loving. And so this verse of Scripture starts in a beautiful way. And it tells us that God is a God of love. Now notice the origin of love. For God so loved the world. Uh, now, that doesn't uh, maybe mean as much to you and to, to me this morning as it did when it was originally spoken in the New Testament time. Because, you see, in those days they had all kinds of gods, but it never would have occurred to him to them that, that God was a God who loves. They had all kinds of gods. They had, uh, they had fighting gods and they had peaceful gods. They had lazy gods and they had lustful gods. They had a God's galore. Here a God, there a God, everywhere a God, a God. But it never would have occurred to them that God was a God of love. 
And yet this verse of Scripture traces love all the way back to its origin and tells us that God is a God of love. God is omniscient. That means He knows everything. God is omnipotent. That means that God has all power. But the sweetest truth about God to me is the truth that God is a God of love. But now notice it says God so loved the world. And that tells us not only about the origin of love, it tells us about the overflow of love. You could translate it this way. God loved the world so intensely. And it means that God's love is an intense kind of love. You see, uh, God's love is not a trickling stream. God's love is a flooding river. Uh, God's love is not a, a dripping faucet. God's love is a bottomless ocean. Uh, God's love is not a flickering uh, lightning bug. God's love is a blazing sun. The overwhelming nature. God so loved the world. But then notice it tells us God so loved the world. Now you see that means that God's love is, is global. That means that God not only just loves the American people, He loves all of the peoples of the world. God so loved the world, that means that God not just loved the white people, but He loves all of the peoples of the world. The love of God is a love that reaches out to the entire world. Now for me to say this morning that God loves the world may not move your heart. So let me move a little closer to you. In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 it says that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. You see, he loves the whole world uh, uh, universally, but he loves the church, born-again people especially. The Bible said he is the Savior of all men, especially of them that believe. Well, that may not move your heart as well, so let me get a little bit closer to you. In Galatians chapter 2 and in verse 20, it says that the Son of God loved me. And gave himself for me. If I could just get it in your heart this morning. If I could just help you to understand. And to come to grips with the truth. That God not only loves the world. That God not only loves those who are saved. But that God loves you individually. When I was a little boy. Uh, and I love those songs this morning brother Ed. Some of them I haven't heard in a long long time. When I was a little boy. We used to sing a little song like this. I am so glad that our Father in heaven tells of His love in the book He has given. Wonderful things in the Bible I see. This is the dearest that Jesus loves me. And then I can almost hear myself as a little boy singing at the top of my voice in Sunday school the refrain. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves even me. One day, it could have been here in Mobile. It's been many years ago now. I preached on the wonderful love of God. And when the service uh, came to the invitation time, a beautiful young college lady came down. And she looked at me with tears uh, glistening in her eyes. And she said to me, she said, Preacher, are you really telling me this morning that God loves me? And I was able on the authority of John 3.16 to tell her indeed God loves her. And I'm here to say this morning, Bill, God loves you. 
I'm here to say this morning, Sue, God loves you. I'm here to say to you, Jeff, this morning, God loves you. I'm here to say to you, Mary, God loves you. The love of God is a global love. Now, that'd be a good place for God's people to say, Amen. But now then, let me make a second statement about God's love this morning. Not only is God's love global, but, but, but God's love is sacrificial. Now watch it. For God so loved the world, His love is global, that He gave His only begotten Son. That tells us that God's love is sacrificial. Uh, that, that, that God's love is a giving love. You know, I quoted three verses a moment ago, John 3.16, Ephesians 5.25, and Galatians 2.20. Did you notice in every one of those verses it talked about love and giving? God so loved the world that He gave. A Christ loved the church and He gave. He loved me and gave. Now, you know, you can uh, give uh, and not love. You know that ornery uncle of yours and it Christmas time, you always got to give him a, a, a Christmas gift. You can give and not love. But I'm here to say to you this morning, folks, you can't love and not give. It is the nature of love to give. You know, if you love Luke 4.18, I'm sure you're going to give to the building program. I mean, it's just, it just naturally follows. And, and so when it says that God is a God of love, it, it also says that He gave His only begotten Son. Uh, God's love is sacrificial. Now watch this. That He gave His only begotten Son. And the word gave means that, that, that God gave His Son definitely. Uh, in, in other words, uh, there was a decision that was made for God to give His uh, Son. Uh, you know love is a decision, don't you? Uh, love is a decision. We decide to love. Oh, I know love is an emotion. I, I'm not trying to take emotion out of love. I used to tell our kids when we'd go to youth camp, I used to talk to them about that first love, you know, and I used to give them this little poem. Uh, love is a very funny thing. It's shaped just like a lizard. It wraps its tail around your throat and goes right through your gizzard. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, love is an emotional thing. But, but, but love is a decision. You made a decision to love that old boy. Uh, it, it, it never dawned on you that, uh, uh, that he would gargle peanut butter in bed at night and bite his toenails, but you decided to love that old boy. Love is a decision. And sometimes in my mind's eye, I go back into eternity past. And I see the Heavenly Father knowing, knowing that the human race was going to fall in sin and that the human race would need a Savior. And He looked at all of the cherubim and seraphim and none of them would do. And He looked at all the archangels and angels and, and none of them would do. And then His holy gaze uh, fell upon His own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus and the Father and the Spirit in Holy Trinity made a decision. And it was determined that Jesus, the Savior, the Son of God, would come into the world. And so God gave His Son. Do you see Him as Jesus left the portals of glory? And as Jesus came down from the portals of glory, He passed Jupiter and Mars. And Jupiter cried out and said, don't go down there, Jesus. 
They'll misunderstand you and they'll misrepresent you. And yet down he came. And then he came past our son. And, and they said, don't go down there, Jesus. They'll mock you and they'll spit upon you and they'll slap your face. Don't go down there. And yet down, down he came. And he came into our atmosphere and the atmosphere said, don't go down there, Jesus. They'll nail you to a cross. They'll ram a spear into your side. They'll crush a crown of thorns on your head. Don't go down there. And yet down, down, down he came. Out of the ivory palaces into a world of woe. Only his great eternal love made my Savior go. God gave his Son definitely. God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten Son. Interesting word there, only begotten. Uh, I guess another way to translate it would be he gave his unique son, one-of-a-kind son. Uh, you, you see, when, when Jesus was, was born, no one had ever been born the way Jesus was born. Uh, there, there, there's a mystery about, about the birth of our Lord, isn't there? I mean, you know, I remember when I was pastor here, and some of you old-timers here remember Dr. Mitchell, the uh, a pediatrician. And uh, he was a member of our church at Dolphin Way. And, and I used to take uh, Dr. Mitchell to, to lunch. And, and at that time, uh, he had uh, delivered over 16,000 babies. And uh, I, I used to say, Dr. Mitchell, explain physical birth, biological birth to me. And if you knew Dr. Mitchell, he'd begin to give you all these long, long names and, and, I, and words. You know, and I'd sit there you know, trying to look intelligent as if I understood what he was saying. And after he got through with his description of biological birth, he would look at me and I would look at him, and we were aware that we were in the presence of mystery. But ladies and gentlemen, there is a mystery about biological birth. There is a greater mystery in the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in flesh. Think about it. The eternal God confined himself to the narrow dimensions of a woman's womb. And he was born of the Virgin Mary. When Jesus was born, the infinite became an infant. When Jesus was born, God became a, a, a creature. There's a uniqueness about it, a, a mystery about it. There, there's a must about it. The reason Jesus was born uniquely is because it was absolutely necessary for Him to be the Savior, to be virgin born. You say, do you understand the virgin birth? Of course I don't understand the virgin birth. Who of among us would understand such a miracle as that? But you see, it was necessary for Jesus to be born of a virgin because, you see, if Jesus had not been born of a virgin, he would have been tainted with human sin. So Jesus had to be born of a virgin so he would not be tainted with human sin so that he could live a sinless life. And because he lived a sinless life, he could die on the cross, a death that you and I could not die for ourselves in order to make it possible for sinners like you and I, you and me, to be saved. When Jesus was born of a virgin, he short-circuited the sin cycle so that he was born apart from human sin. There he, he gave his son uh, uniquely. Uh, he, he gave his son not only uniquely, but he gave his son definitely, but, but he, he gave his son incredibly. He gave his only begotten son. 
Now, now you see, if, if, if we ever doubted the love of God, all we've got to do is just do what Brother Ed has done for us this morning, is take a visit to Calvary. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, basically he's saying that the death of Jesus on the cross proves that God loves us. When you, when you were in elementary school, did you ever get a crush on somebody? And you thought you were in love with them, you know? I, 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 remember, I remember one time I got a crush on old Corrine there in elementary school. And, oh, I was just head over heels in love with, with Corrine. And so, uh, have you ever played that? Do you remember that? Now, this will date some of you old timers. Uh, but, but do you remember that game you used to play with a dandelion? And, and you know, you, you had a crush on somebody, and, and you would play that little game. You know, you'd pull out the pedal. She loves me. She loves me not. She loves me. She loves Uh-huh. You remember that, don't you? And, and you know, I'd play that. And, and, you know, if the last pedal was she loved me, then she loved me. And so I'd play this. She loves me. She loves me not. She loves And I always came out with she loved me. You know why? I rigged it. But dear ones, I'm here to announce to you that when Jesus died on the cross, God was announcing His, His love for the whole world. And every drop that flowed from the precious body of the Lord Jesus Christ was God saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Oh, thank God for the cross. Because it tells us that God's love is uh, sacrificial. But then now notice quickly the third truth about God's love. God's love is not only uh, global and God's love is not only sacrificial, but, but, but God's love is, is also personal. He says, whosoever believeth in him. Whoso, I like that little word, whosoever. In the Greek language, it's a little word with three letters in it, pas, P-A-S. That's the word. And it's translated, whosoever are all are every. And you would be surprised how many times that little word pops up in passages that have to do with salvation. For instance, in Hebrews 2, 9, it says that Christ tasted death for every man. There's the word. Uh, in 2 Peter 3, 9, it says God is not willing that any, there's that little word, should perish, but that all, there's that little word, should come to repentance. Well, what it's saying is, is that, that God loves the whole world and, and that it is personal, that whosoever will believe in Him will be saved. Now, there are some who would tell you today that uh, the way to read John 3.16 is to say, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that uh, whosoever among the elect believe in Him should be saved. Ladies and gentlemen, I got, I got news for you. That's not what the verse says. The verse says, whosoever. Uh, the verse says, anybody who wants to be saved can be saved. The verse didn't say God so loved the world of the elect. It said God so loved the whole world. 
First John 2, 20, uh, First John 2, 2 said, He is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And so you see, I can stand in front of every one of you this morning, and I can say to every one of you, whoever you are, if you will receive the Lord Jesus, believe on the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. It is a personal. You know, I'm glad he said whosoever here. I'm glad he didn't put my name in there. I'm real glad it didn't say that if Jerry Vines believes in me, he'll be saved. Because as insecure as I am, I would think it might be a case of mistaken identity. Uh, when I was living in, in Rome, Georgia, I, I got a notice from the city water department that they were going to cut off my water for failure to pay my water bill. Well, that was a little concerning to me, as you can imagine. And it was especially concerning to me because I didn't use city water. I had my own well. And then I discovered there was another guy in town named Jerry Vines, and that rascal wasn't paying his water bill. And so, you see, if he'd said Jerry Vines in here... I might have thought, well, it's mistaken identity. It doesn't include me. So, so that none of us might be afraid that someone else was intended. God didn't put our name. God just said, whosoever, anybody who wants to be can be saved. You say, well, you don't know what I've done. No, I don't know what you've done. I don't care what you've done. I'm here to tell you today, whosoever will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. You say, but, 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 but preacher, you don't know my, my hang-ups, my addictions. No, I don't know your hang-ups. I don't know your addictions. I don't care about your hang-ups and your addictions. I'm here to say to you this morning that whosoever will believe in him will be saved. It's personal. You can walk out of this building this morning knowing that you have been saved. You say, how do you do it? You believe in Jesus. Oh, you believe in Jesus. Uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, yeah, I believe Jesus lived. I believe Jesus died. I believe Jesus. I've heard all of that stuff all of my life. Yes, a head belief is one thing. Heart belief is another thing. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Could I, could I illustrate what it means to believe on Jesus? I, I look at this chair over here. Now, it looks fairly, uh, you know, fairly substantial. And it looks like that if I sat down in it, it'd probably hold me up. But I don't know. In fact, I sat in that chair right over yonder, and I thought it was going to go to pieces on me because it just started moving back. I guess Brother Fred's been sitting in it or something because it just started moving back. But this looks a little more solid than that one. And I believe, I believe that that chair will support me. Well, then, am I, am I saved? I, I believe it in my head. I believe it'll support me. A am I saved? You say, well, no, you're not saved. You see, that chair is not supporting me, though I believe it will. What do I have to do for that chair to support me? Come on now, Bible scholars. What do I have to do for that chair to support me? What do I have to do? All right. Hold your breath. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. You believe in your head, He died on the cross. You believe in your head... 
that he can save you. But dear one, when you are willing to say, I'll trust my life totally and completely to him, just as I am without one plea. I'm not claiming I can be perfect. I'm not claiming I'll never sin again. But just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. And you fall on Jesus. And he saves you. God's love is global, for God so loved the world. God's love is sacrificial that He gave His only begotten Son. God's love is personal that whosoever believeth in Him. And then here's the last thing I want to say. God's love is eternal. Whosoever believeth in Him, watch, should not perish, but have everlasting life. God's love is eternal. Have you ever thought about eternity? Did you know, friend, there was never a time when you were not? I mean, there, there was a time when you were not. There was a time when you had not been born. You did not exist. There was a time when you were not. But, friend, did you know there will never be a time when you will not be? You are a piece of eternity. God has so created you. God has given you an eternal soul. And when this world has vanished away, when the sun refuses to shine, when the stars fall from their sockets like chunks of burnt out coal, you will be somewhere. Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. Now listen to that word. If you listen very carefully, you can hear fire burning. Look at that word. If you look at that word, you can see gnashing of teeth and worms crawling. All hell is wrapped up in that all hell is wrapped up in that word. Should not perish. Oh, what an awful thought. Think about it. You created for eternity. It is possible for you to spend eternity in a terrible place called hell. You say, preacher, you look like a, a fairly educated man. Don't tell me you still believe in that old-fashioned doctrine of hell. I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus had the tenderest heart that ever beat in a human breast. And yet Jesus said more about the terrible place called hell than any other person in the Bible. There's a hell. There's a hell. I used to have a dear old evangelist friend named Dr. Jess Henley. He was known as Hellfire and Damnation Henley. I had him in this city a number of years ago for revival. We were eating together uh, at a place here, and, and a guy came by, a preacher came by and said, Well, if he didn't know Hellfire and Damnation Henley. And after the man walked away, Jess Henley looked at me with big old tears in his eyes, and he said, Yes, preacher. They call me Hellfire and Damnation Henley. He said, Because I really believe there's a hell. And I don't want anybody to go there. Friend, don't go to hell. Please don't go to hell. Once in hell, always in hell. In hell, someone says, I 
keep reading down here. Give me some air. No air. No, no air in hell. And somebody said, I can't see. Give me some light. No light in hell. Well, just let me die down here. No death in hell. But forever and forever and forever to perish. God so loved the world, His love is global. God so loved the world, gave His only begotten Son. His love is sacrificial. That whosoever believeth in Him, His love is personal. And His love is eternal. Should not perish. Oh, but I like that next verse. But there is the hinge of our hope. All heaven is in that word. But we go from agony to ecstasy. We go from hell to heaven. But have everlasting life if you listen real carefully you can hear the shouts of the saints and the anthems of the angels in that word if you look very carefully you can see gates of pearl and streets of gold in that world if you believe in Jesus the Bible said you'll spend eternity in a wonderful place called heaven I'm closer to heaven this morning than I've ever been and so are you I'll have no words to describe it. I don't know how I've tried to preach on heaven. And I'll tell you, you can exhaust human language and you will never just get to the hem of the garment of how wonderful it's going to be in a place called heaven. But I'll tell you this. However it may be when I get to heaven, I want to see my mom and my daddy who are in heaven. I want to see some dear old friends. I want to see Adrian. Rogers, I want to see you here. I have a lot of friends I want to see. But you know, I'm going to say to every one of them, I think, excuse me just a minute, I'll be right back. Because I want, when I get to heaven, to come to the feet of Jesus and get down on my face and say, Jesus, thank you so much that you love me so much. You died on the cross for me to give me a new life, to give me a meaning and a reason to live, to give me power and victory over the addictions and the sins that that plague me and to keep me out of hell and to take me to this wonderful place called heaven. Some of you may remember Bennett Cerf. He was one of the founders of the Random House Publishing Company. And ben, Bennett Surf told a story I've never forgotten. He said there was an orphan's home, and, and in that orphan's home, there was a troublesome little boy. He was always causing problems. He was always giving trouble. He never could seem to get it together. He, he was, you know, just, just a problem little boy. And, and the people who ran the orphan's home really would like to find something on the little boy bad enough to get him out of their uh, home and, and send him on somewhere else to the next stopping place. And one day they saw him steal across the grass. And they saw him as he climbed up in a tree and took a piece of paper and deposited it in that tree and then he climbed down and as soon as he did they rushed to the tree to find the incriminating evidence on the little boy and they opened up the note and it said if anybody finds this I love you 
you know, this world of ours treats God like an unwanted orphan boy. And yet this God, so unwanted, so defamed, so mocked, has written a verse of Scripture that says to anybody in this building today, whoever finds this, I love you.